So we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 1 in a, in a couple of minutes' time. And, uh, but I was just thinking, I was sat in the carol service last week. Uh, I was up on the balcony there. It was amazing, wasn't it? What an amazing evening that was. Yeah, well done, team. You can, uh, you, it, was, it was really, really excellent. Um, there was something that was different than any other carol service I'd been to. I was just loving every moment of it. And, and it was this, that they switched something around. And there's this really old, great carol. It's, it's probably most people's favorite carol. It's called O Holy Night. And it's an amazing song. I've only ever heard it until last Sunday sung as a sort of performance piece. And if you know the song, you'll know why, because it's, it's stunning. It's like it goes from the very low to the very high. It's beautiful, powerful words. If you sit there and listen, it sends a, a tingle down your spine. But Emma and Lois this year, they said, no, we, we're going to get everybody to sing it. And there was something amazing about that. Really amazing, because I thought to myself, you know, I've always just heard somebody sing this song to me or at me or for me, but I've never sung it myself. And there was something so powerful about singing it myself. And I don't know, I, I was just up on the balcony. I felt a bit like Mariah Carey. <laughs> <laughs> and I hit most of those high notes. <laughs> and some of those low notes. And it was beautiful. Well, I don't know if it was beautiful or not. <laughs> But it was, certainly everybody was doing the same thing. Now, today, I want to give you a chance, it may sound a bit strange, I want to give you a chance to join in. We're not going to, not singing, not, not preaching, but I want to give you an opportunity to join in this Christmas story and to join in the greatest experience you can ever have, which is to know the person of Jesus as your friend and as your saviour. And that's the most wonderful thing in all the world that can happen. You may feel like a spectator. You may wonder if you could have what other people have in this room. And the answer is yes. In fact, I know it's eight days before Christmas, but today, for some of you, you might just receive the greatest present you've ever received if you ask Jesus into your life at the end of this message. At the end of the chapter, we're going to read in just a moment. It's the story of how um, an angel comes and visits Mary, the mother of Jesus, to announce news that she is going to become pregnant with the Messiah. And at the end, Mary sings a song. We're not going to sing the song or look at the song. But she says this important, amazing thing. She says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. And, you know, anybody who's a Christian will say that same phrase. They'll say, the mighty one's done great things for me. God's done something in my life. It's personal. It was personal to Mary. It's personal to me. It's personal to you if you're a Christian. And it can be personal to you today if you don't yet know Jesus. So, are you ready? Should we read from the Bible? Okay, Luke chapter 1. You may have heard these words a thousand times, or this may be your first time. It matters not. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, 
you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I don't know what you're like when somebody gives you a present. I don't know if you're one of those people who has to try and guess what it is. And you shake it, and you poke it, and you listen to it, and you weigh it, and you scan it to see what is inside or whether you just leave it unwrapped. Well, today, I think there's an invitation in these verses to understand something of the gift being offered to us in these verses. It's something of a God surprise that we read about. It's something impossible that we come to terms with. It's something freely being given and freely offered. And it's something that must be taken hold of. So let's go through these things as we shake this gift and listen and perceive what it is that God wants to give to us today. Let's start with this God surprise, this unusual moment in history, because we have to say it's unusual, don't we? It starts with an angel. Did anybody's day start today with an angel? Probably not. Angels are largely unknown in our world. It would be a very rare thing if any of us had encountered an angel. But it says that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Mary grew up in Israel. The politics in that part of the world, Israel, Gaza, Palestine, have always been complex. They were complex in Mary's day. In fact, they lived under Roman, brutal Roman occupation that everybody resented and hated and longed to end. And Mary finds herself as as a teenager, probably, growing up in a world that is complex. When we watch the news of that part of the the, the world now, it's hard to watch. Sometimes you watch it because you need to know what's going on. Sometimes you think, I can't watch it because it's too hard to see what is going on. But here's something that you do see in the news from time to time. It's important people from all over the world going to show their face and to to do something. Maybe foreign, foreign secretaries, maybe ambassadors, maybe prime ministers, maybe even presidents going to be there to see if them being there could somehow help the situation. And the faces and the names change from generation to generation, but sadly the conflict and the issues don't seem to move on terribly much. But this story 
it seems to surprise us because it goes against the normal news cycles. It seems to go against the sort of themes of hopelessness, and here we go again. It seems to be that there is somebody coming into the story, but this time it's an angel. It's somebody sent from God with a message from God. Angels aren't common in this world. They're mentioned 365 times in the Bible. They're extremely common in heaven. There's 10,000 times 10,000 angels surrounding the throne of God. It's almost like as we begin to read this story, heaven is leaking into earth, and we're beginning to see something of God's kingdom coming here. Angels in the Bible are created beings and servants and messengers. They do the bidding of God and share the messages of God. In the Old Testament, they brought messages to Abraham, to Hagar, to Gideon, to Moses, to David, to Elijah, and many others. They didn't make up their own messages. They brought the messages of God. And so this angel visits Mary because he has a message for Mary. He was there at God's instruction. And we're told that this particular angel had a name. That's kind of fun, isn't it? We wouldn't have known that angels had names unless you know, there's a couple of times in the Bible where uh, one seems to be called Michael and another one seems to be called Gabriel. Most angels, we just don't know their names, but this one we do. And you think, well, I wonder why Luke bothered to record the name. I wonder why that was an important detail. Well, here's some things about Gabriel. Um, I've just stuck him on the screen just for ease. He's the same angel who'd appeared to Zechariah just a few verses earlier to in a few months earlier, to Zechariah, who was Mary's relative, to tell him that he and his wife would have a baby, even in old age, who was going to be John the Baptist. And when Zechariah didn't believe him, Zechariah confronts him. He says, I come from the presence of God. I stand in the presence of God. This is what we know about the angel Gabriel. He stands in the innermost circle of God's presence to hear the messages of God accurately so that he can portray them. And we also read about this angel Gabriel in in the Old Testament. He turns up in Daniel chapter 8. And somebody says to, 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 to Gabriel, explain the vision to Daniel, please. And in Daniel 9, verse 21... He, uh, we're, we're told that he looks something like a man. He says, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. So not, angel, not all angels are shiny. Not all angels necessarily have wings. Or perhaps some of them do, perhaps some of them don't. They don't perhaps all look the same. But this one seems to look like a man. But he also seems to scare people quite a lot. <laughs> Daniel fell on his face. Zechariah was told immediately, don't be afraid. Mary is told not to fear. It seems to be a scary thing to come face to face with an angel. But here's something else about Gabriel. He seems to be the angel that God entrusts with messages about the Messiah. He does that to Daniel. He says in Daniel 9, until the anointed one, the ruler, comes and he will be put to death, foreshadowing, foreseeing what Jesus will do. It's almost like God's in in heaven. He's thinking, I've got a message about the Messiah. Who am I going to send? And Gabriel stands up and he says, that's my job. 
Gabriel isn't the new recruit. He's not the work experience angel. He's not the one who's going to get it wrong. He's there. He's trusted for hundreds of years to bring the messages of God. And here he is knocking on the door of a young woman called Mary. We don't know much about Mary. Who is she? She she seems to probably be in her teenage years. We think, next slide, please, Jason. Um, But God seems to know her name. In fact, this first chapter of of Luke just seems to be full of individual names. Isn't that fascinating? God hasn't really spoken to to Israel for 400 years. and, And the temptation might be for them to think, well, I wonder if God really knows what's going on for us. And the temptation in your life sometimes will be when when you don't hear a very specific word sometimes, you say, I wonder if God really knows what's going on for me. And what this story teaches us is that God really knows what's going on for you, and he knows your name, and he knows where you live, and he knows what what your life is about, and he knows what you're worried about. We don't know much about her. She seems to love God a lot. She doesn't seem to be terribly prominent or affluent or influential. We read when they presented Jesus at the temple that her and Joseph offered the poor person's alternate sacrifice when when they presented Jesus, which was prescribed in Leviticus 12, perhaps saying that they didn't have huge means. They couldn't afford a lamb. She wasn't influential. Nobody was willing to give their bed up for her when she was about to give birth to a baby boy. But here's something I love about Mary in this surprising story, is that she seems to respond just like you or I would if an angel turned up at our door. (laughs) She says in verse 29, well, sorry, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. (laughs) Would anybody else be thinking that? Yeah, I I think I would. I remember about 15 years ago, I was just sat at home one day and there was a knock on the door and I opened it and there was two policemen standing there. And my immediate thought was, what have I done? <laughs> they said, please don't worry, sir. <laughs> he said, there's just somebody from your church who needs your help. And they, they didn't know your phone number, so we've come around to your house. So I said, oh, thank goodness for that. Of course, yes. We all have guilty consciences. When people turn up at our door, we think, what are you here for? We're used to the idea of, Help being available on request. You know, if, if, you, if you need to go and see a doctor, you have to phone up and make an appointment and go. It's pretty unusual, isn't it, for your GP to sort of just ring you up out the blue and say, hey, just wondered how things were going. <laughs> I haven't seen you for a while. Do you fancy coming into the surgery and just, just, you know, just wonder how your health is these days? No. I mean, I'm sure GPs would love the time to do that. But the truth is this. We're used to this world where... Help is on a, a, a need-to-know basis. It's, it's, we, we ask it on request and we get it. Whereas God sends his angel into the world to say, I'm coming to help and you need to hear this wonderful news. Maybe like Mary, you can feel troubled and anxious about the world we live in. And even your own personal life. Maybe you know the feeling of receiving news with trepidation. Perhaps an envelope through the door marked from the bank or from the hospital and worrying what is inside. Maybe this message today finds you in a place of trouble or complexity. This story teaches us that none of that is a disqualifier for receiving what God has got for you today. And the message Gabriel says twice is that this is a message 
about favor. It's going to be good news. So it's a God surprise. Here's the second thing about this present that we're shaking and figuring out today. It's impossible. It's impossible. It says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. There's something just impossible in human terms about this whole story. It's a story that just doesn't stack up in our human logic. I don't know if anybody, I'm sure there'll be another episode of Doctor Who this Christmas or New Year. I haven't looked at the TV schedule. Is it on this year? Yeah, it is. Yeah, okay. Now, every year we sit down and watch Doctor Who. I usually fall asleep in it. I, I never really understand what's going on, to be honest. None of it makes any sense to me. But there is one thing that just baffles me every time. It's this, that when he goes into this tiny police box, you go in and there's this enormous TARDIS inside. You think, how does that work? It's impossible. Now, that's the fiction, but the Bible is telling us in these verses about some impossibilities that we must come to terms with and to understand what this means. So here's the first one, that a virgin will bear a child without sexual union in a day and age where that was the only possible means of conception. That's impossible in human terms. Here's the second impossibility. That the infinite God, who made everything, and knows everything, and is everything, would become a human being. Grown inside a mother's womb, held in his parents' arms. It seems like an impossible idea, which the Apostle Paul picked up in Colossians 2, when he said this, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God. In a body. Next slide, please, Jason. Here's the third impossibility that a holy God who dwells in unapproachable light, who is so far other than what we are. You know, we're sometimes used to the idea when you meet somebody that you like or are romantically attracted to, you often feel this sense of, I mean, they're so far above me, they're amazing. Well, here's somebody who is just out of our league. It's God. He is so holy. He is so good. He is so pure and perfect. And as humans, we have all fallen short of his glory. Even Moses, in the Old Testament, who was called the friend of God, Moses said, Lord, can I, can I see you? And God, who said Moses was his friend, he said, Moses, if you see my face, you're going to die. Yet in the incarnation, the Apostle John would say, we've seen the glory of the one and only. We've seen him. We've known him. We've walked with him. We've talked with him. No wonder Mary asks, how? (laughs) How? If you're not asking the question, how today, then it's likely you haven't really grasped the significance of this moment. How will this be? And the answer is, well, it's going to be a God solution. That's the only way it can be. That's the only way a virgin can give birth to a baby. 
And it's the only way that human beings can have a relationship with a holy God. And it's the only way that God can come into human flesh. Back in Jesus' day, it was thought that if you were religious or if you were wealthy, then you had a special place in God's heart and God really loved you. Jesus pointed to the religious people and then he pointed to some children playing nearby and he said, those kids are closer to God than those guys with their fancy clothes. And then he pointed to some wealthy people and he said to his disciples, he said, it's easier for a, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. His disciples were utterly staggered at what he said. They said, who then can be saved? Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see what he's saying? See, if we have any sense that our human credibility or our human uh, uh, credentials or our achievements somehow stack up to us being able to relate to God. We've totally missed it. With, with man, this is impossible. But with God, with the gift of God, all things are possible. He can do what you can't to bring you near to him. So it's impossible. But here's the third thing then. As we shake our present, as we shake our gift, it's something freely given. The angel says to Mary twice, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. You have found favour with God. The word favour can equally be translated in the New Testament as the word grace. It's used all the time. And it means something undeserved. It means something that we get, not because we were entitled to it or because we earned it, but because it was freely given. Santa, he seems to know whether we've been good or bad, or naughty or nice. And somehow we're taught that it it somehow influences his choice or decision as to whether to give us presents or not. That's not grace. That's earning and behavior. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that God gives favor and grace to those who don't deserve it at all. Let's have a look at Mary. The angel says to her, greetings, you who are highly favored. You've been graced by God. He doesn't say, well done, Mary. You've reached the standard. He should have been pretty surprised if he had. He says, you have found grace with God. Grace gives what we don't deserve. How did she qualify? It was by grace. It wasn't because she was an especially good egg. She says herself in the song that she sings later in this chapter, she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She doesn't say all generations will call me holy or special or clever or intelligent or so religious. She says, they'll call me blessed because that's what it is. That's what it is to be experience the grace of God. It's to experience the blessing of God and to know it's an undeserved thing. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 2 as he was explaining it for every Christian. He said, for it is by grace you have been saved 
through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's by grace. It's by grace. How do we experience that grace? Well, somebody tweeted the other day, a friend of mine from a nearby church, and uh, he was commenting on the scene that happens directly after, this message, after these verses where the, uh, the, the, the pregnant Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, meets up with Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus. Uh, the name John means grace of God. God is grace. And the name Jesus means God saves. And there's this beautiful moment where the unborn John the Baptist comes into the presence of the unborn Jesus the Messiah in the womb of Mary. And Elizabeth comments, my baby John, he leapt for joy when he came into the presence of Jesus. Here's the thing, the grace of God is delighted in the presence of the one who saves. Grace of God, Jesus the Saviour. It's through the work of Jesus. It's through the baby given, but it's also the baby who grows up to give his life and to die on a cross and rise again for our sake, seeking and saving that which was lost. God's grace comes to us through Jesus' saving. And here's the life-altering news for Mary in this amazing gift. God is going to come and live inside her. Isn't that amazing? God is going to live inside her, in her womb. I keep passing my stomach like I've got a womb. <laughs> and, I, and I can see Julie and Jack laughing at me over here. So I'm just, just naming it. I've, I've, comment, I've, I've seen it. Okay, I'm going to stop doing it. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. <laughs> Here's the amazing news. God will come and live inside her. A baby will grow within who is God, and she will give birth to him. To have, uh, 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 she, she's living in the closest proximity to God in her life. He's inside of her. What a beautiful picture of what it means to become a Christian. It's to have God living in you. To be a Christian isn't simply, well, once upon a time in a land far away, there was a Savior who came and he died for me. This is what Christians say. He lives in me, and I know him. He's in my life. And I've invited him in. Galatians 2, the Apostle Paul said it in these words. He said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. And it's all because of grace freely given. It's to have Jesus living in your life by his Spirit. It's a gift freely given. And that means... Like any gift, there's something to be taken hold of. There's a response to be made. For some of us, we'll tear open the wrapping on our presence. For some of us, we'll very carefully undo the sellotape. It could be. It'd be unusual, but sometimes you might just ignore a present. I know what that one is. I'm not excited about it. won't open it. All of us make a response to every gift that is given. Let's look at Mary's response to the gift that God gave her. She said, 
I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. If you'd classify Mary's response in a word, you might say this. You might say, well, it was humble. It was humble. Maybe the gift to her was by God's grace, but how did that land in her life? Well, she was somebody who was willing to say, okay, (laughs) to say yes. Here's the simplicity of receiving Jesus into your life. It's as simple as being humble enough to say yes, to say yes to him and yes to his plan for your life. No doubt she's full of questions, but they're questions of wonder, not of resistance. She's saying, basically, Lord, I'm a yes. What can we learn from Mary's simple and humble response? In the words of an old carol, It says, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Meek just means humble. It's another word for it. Where meek souls receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Let's think about our response for a moment. See, in this story that we've read today, the the surprise at the beginning was of an angel knocking on Mary's door, perhaps. It's like, whoa, what is going on? The baby was an unknown. But here we are, and we kind of know how this story progresses. Jesus will die on a cross, and he'll be raised to life, and now he is ascended to the right hand of God, and he rules and reigns with God the Father forever and ever. He now has a thousand angels at his bidding who will do anything, who will carry any message anywhere he wants. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is superior to any angel that you could meet. If Jesus had a message for you or I today, he could simply send one of any numbers of angels who he knows the names of. He says, could you just go and send Dan a message, please? I've just got a word for him. I just, you know, I've kind of finished my work. I'm up here. I'm on the throne enjoying life. But I've got, I'm going to send some messages out. Knowing where Jesus is now makes this next verse even more significant. Because there's a picture in Revelation 3.20 where Jesus is speaking. This is the picture. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's not Mary's front door. It's mine. It's yours. And it's not a physical front door. It's you. It's your life. It's your mind. It's your will. It's your emotions. Pictured as a door. And in this verse, it isn't Gabriel or some other eminent angel knocking. It's Jesus, the one who's superior to any angel, and he's coming in person to knock on your door. Such is the importance of this conversation. The the painting that you can see on the screen is a very famous painting uh, by Holman Hunt. It hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And you can see that uh, Jesus is pictured alive from from the dead. He still bears the the marks of his suffering. 
his, his scars, his crown of thorns. You can see the light, the light of the world. He is the light of the world. And, and you can see this door pictured in Revelation 3.20, and the weeds are growing up the outside. It looks like Jesus has been knocking for a very long time. And somebody has been slow to answer. When Holman Hunt painted that picture, somebody pointed out, they said, uh, Holman, you, you missed something. And he's like, oh, really? And they said, yeah, yeah, the handle on the door, you missed it. And he just very cleverly replied, he said, oh, that's because this door can only be opened from the inside. So I, I had a copy of this picture. And uh, many years ago now, I was uh, putting my son Ben to bed and he was three at the time, which tells you how long I've been telling this story for. And, and uh, I showed him this picture, and I was talking through what it meant and how the importance of asking Jesus into your life. And, and, I, and I was trying to draw him out, you know, as you, as you do like a parent, you're trying to interact. And I said, I said, oh, look, Ben, look, have you noticed there's no handle on the door? He says, yeah. I said, so, oh, dear, my, my goodness, how is Jesus going to get in? And uh, without sort of missing a beat, Ben just says, well, he's going to have to go around the back. <laughs> I said, Ben, there's no back door. And ben says, yeah, there's always a back door, Dad. I said, no, well, let's pretend there's not a back door. And he says, well, yeah, but there is usually. So, so I said, good night and turn the light off. Um, but this point, there is no back door. There's... There's a front door, and Jesus would never go through any door that's not the front door of your life. But here's the thing. We must open it. We must open it from the inside. Perhaps you've never opened the door to him. Perhaps he's locked out of your life. Maybe today it's time to let him in, to say, Jesus, come in, to say, like Mary, yes to him. How strange it would be to leave the one who made you, knows you, and loves you, locked out of your life. But you know, this verse was written to a church. It was written to Christians. It was written to people who had probably already made that declaration and decision some years earlier to invite Jesus into their midst and, to, and into their church and their lives. And yet, what a strange picture this is. Wouldn't it be strange for a church by the name of King's Church to have Jesus banging on the door outside saying, hey guys, do you want me to come in? Yet as Christians, even as a church, we can find ourselves busy with our own agendas and our own plans and our own ideas. And slowly we're just pushing Jesus out of the control room of our lives and we're pushing him onto the outside and he just keeps patiently knocking saying, hey guys, you've got me in the wrong place. Why don't you let me in? There's a response for all of us today to let Jesus in, to the center, to the control room. Ancient Israel would sometimes return from battle to Jerusalem carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And they would sing Psalm 24 as they approached Jerusalem. It said, lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. 
And I guess there was a decision for those gatekeepers as they heard that song being sung, as they saw God himself approaching, symbolized and present in the Ark of the Covenant. And they would make that decision again and again. Lord, come in. Come home. I wonder if you'll invite Jesus home today. King Jesus, the Lord of your life. Maybe like Mary, you're troubled as to what this might mean. But humility and trust is enough to make you say yes. Will you say yes today? Here's the wonderful thing about that verse we read. Jesus says, if you open the door, I'll come in and eat with you and you with me. When you invite Jesus into your life, he brings the Christmas turkey. He says, I'll eat with you. Let's come to him today. Let's pray. I'm going to pray a prayer that it could be you've never prayed a prayer like this to invite Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior. I'm just going to give you some words to do that. Basically, these words are saying yes to God. But it could be that you've wandered from him. And today, you know, it's time to come home and to let Jesus back in. Let's pray together. I'm going to pray these words and then Emma will lead us in a song. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Maybe just take a few moments to ask his forgiveness for anything particular that's on your conscience. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's welcome him as we sing together. If you just prayed that prayer that Dan led you in, that's the most important thing you could ever do. And he is Christ the Lord. And he is worthy. And we want to help you to work out what that means. And so uh, myself or Dan or someone at the Connect Desk would love to uh, chat with you if that's you. And we can help connect you to some other people uh, who can work this through with you. And if you are still feel like, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm hearing that knocking. I don't quite know about opening the door yet, but I'm hearing that knocking. Well, God's, God's speaking. He's still knocking. And uh, we've got an event happening in the new year we'd love to invite you to. Uh, we're calling it New Year, New Opportunity. And it's just uh, going to be a very warm, uh, informal uh, social evening, really, to start with, where a group of people who want to explore uh, Christianity and faith are going to get together here in this building, 7.30 on Tuesday, the 9th of January. And uh, you're just so welcome to join. You can uh, scan that QR code. You can speak at the Connect Desk. You can just turn up on the night. That's absolutely fine. And uh, that group will just start meeting and chatting and, uh, yeah, exploring what it is to have Jesus as Lord. We'd love to invite you to be part of that.